for the OCD among us. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Is there, how's everyone doing? Hallelujah. God is good all the time. Hallelujah. And all the time, God is good. I just think we need to be reminding ourselves of that constantly. Hallelujah. Uh, would you bow your heads for me, with me? Father God, we just, we bless you, Father God. We thank you so much for your goodness. It is your goodness that have led us to repentance. We thank you, Father God, that you loved us so much you gave your only begotten son. That whoever believed could have eternal salvation. Be with you forever. You gave the most precious gift of all. And Father God, we just declare this morning that we are so thankful and we declare that we love you. Say to Father God, say, I love you. Because you first loved me. So, Father, we just, we just give you all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to go to the book of James. This is going to be a redo for some here. To a certain degree, we uh, just want to do a, a, a quick shameless plug for the uh, Aaron and Sheila Means Bible study on Friday, <laughs> Friday evenings from uh, 7 to 8.15. <laughs> the website says 7 to 8.30, but it's 7 to 8.15. And, you know, Aaron and Sheila, they love the Lord so much, and the Lord is doing a wonderful thing. Uh, through them, they loved the word of the Lord, and we just had a beautiful time of fellowship uh, on Friday night. But uh, I want you to go to the book of James, and uh, uh, we're going to talk about uh, tats. How many of y'all got tats out there? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Tests and trials. So TAS is an acronym. Acronym. We're not going to get through the whole chapter today, but uh, I believe there is so much truth. There's so much to unpack here in this, just in this first chapter of James. Uh, we're going to mostly focus on the trials part today. Um, unless God says something differently, I won't be preaching next week, but then I'll be preaching the two weeks after that. So... Uh, unless uh, God tells me to do something else, I'll likely be continuing this on, on some line. Book of James, chapter 1. And for some reason, I sent Desiree my notes and didn't put those in my notes. So now I got to look at my phone. Book of James chapter one, we're going to start with the first four verses and it reads, I'm in the NIV, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ 
to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So he starts off by identifying himself. Now, this is the brother of the Lord, but he doesn't introduce himself in that manner. He introduces himself as a servant. A servant of God and not a brother, just a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, but a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he directed this letter to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, the children of Israel, the 12 tribes represent the children of Israel, literally. And those of us who have been grafted in, it represents the believers, the followers of Christ. It represents the believers of God who are going through something. Because it says they've been scattered abroad, right? They weren't scattered abroad willingly. They were scattered abroad due to persecutions, hardships, trials. And he starts his letter off with greetings. And he says something to me that is completely counterintuitive. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters in the faith, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I'd like you to ponder that for a second. I've had a trial or two in my life. Some were my own fault. When I became academically ineligible and flunked out of OSU, that was nobody's fault but mine. There were trials that resulted from that that I had to overcome to get back and graduate. I blamed a lot of people in the moment. But God got a hold of me and realized that the finger I was pointing outward needed to be pointed inward. It was the most humbling, embarrassing moment of my life at the time. But you know how good God is? I went home. I I left Waxahachie, Texas. This is where I'm from. As the model student athlete, I would go back to Waxahachie, and the coaches would make it a point, their, their, their new young studs, to have them meet me, and they would say, hey, this is the guy you want to emulate. This is the guy that you want to model yourself after. This guy was a self-motivated guy, hard worker, and so forth. This guy did everything right. And now I'm coming back home having done everything wrong. I got caught up, so focused on trying to make it to the league that the things that should have remained important to me became secondary. I lost my way, wasn't going to class, wasn't doing, wasn't handling my responsibilities, wasn't going to church, so I wasn't centered. And not surprisingly, well, I'll say this, it didn't help that the previous two semesters that I wasn't doing my, wasn't handling my business academically, you know, I kept getting chances. Now, 
and my semester GPA was getting worse and worse <laughs> and worse. And finally, the academic, uh, uh, what's her name, Miss Martha McMillan, she was a villain then, but God did a work in me, and I thanked her for doing what she did years later. But she wrote a letter to every department, every college at OSU, with a list of our names that included mine that says, under no circumstances do you admit these guys. It got real then. I got on my knees then. I got to praying to the Lord. But it was too late. A chain of events had been set in motion that led to my academic suspension, and I had to go home. But God is so good that in that year and a half that it took me to get back to OSU and get my affairs in order, he revealed to me what his purpose and his plan for my life had been all along. And so he revealed to me that his plan for my life involved preaching the gospel. But he allowed me to get back here and uh, get my scholarship back and to uh, graduate and everything. But instead of having a perspective where football was my everything, it was in its proper place when I came back. And God could use me the way he intended to use me the entire time. So he took the trial I self-inflicted on me and used it to turn it for my good. Does that make sense? You're hearing me. So I can look back on that with joy. I went through it in tears. Anger. I didn't see it as joy in the moment. I wasn't mature enough to do that back then. But I look back on it, and I am always reminded to thank God for that period of time where he took the thing that become a small G God to me, football, away, as painful as it was, he, he, it had to get out of my life so I could be in a position where I could hear what he wanted for my life. I couldn't, I, I couldn't hear him as long as I was consumed with my own vision. Are you hearing me? But that was a self-inflicted one. Oftentimes, we go through trials that come from outside circumstances that really have nothing to do with us being out of line with the Lord. And maybe you can identify with that today. And the Word of God is saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces something. Okay, not just rejoicing just for the sake of rejoicing in a trial, but you're rejoicing, you're looking past the trial to what the trial is designed to produce in you. Amen? So we're rejoicing at the work of God that is going on through this trial, and it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James challenges our state of mind. 
in our attitude towards trials. Are you seeing that? And I, I, I want to, uh, I should have done this before, but I want to define trials as adverse circumstances allowed by God for the purpose of our development, for the purpose of our spiritual development. Be that a Christ-like character trait? Because <laughs> his will is to, com- is to form Christ in us, right? All right? And trials, God is challenging us to view trials from a biblical perspective than what our natural inclination is, to look at it as just hurtful, destructive, something to be avoided, something to, uh, to, to, to run away from at all costs. I've heard a million times in my Christian life, you know, I was warned as a young Christian, no, boy, don't you ever pray for patience. Don't, don't do it. Because the moment you pray for patience, guess what's coming? There's coming circumstances in your life that's going to test your patience. And when you really listen to that, that is nonsense. Because if our objective is to grow, if our objective is to become more Christ-like, all right, if we're wanting to develop and grow, then we should welcome those things that would test us and resist us. You know, you can't tell now, but at one time I was a, I was a supremely fit athlete. All right? That didn't come naturally. All right? I didn't get the muscles that I got. It didn't get the stamina and endurance that I got without testing, constantly testing my muscles, without constantly testing my respiratory system and building that endurance, constantly testing. And a lot of times it hurt. You do a hard, heavy lift day, the next day, oh my goodness. When your muscles haven't worked out and that lactic acid gets to going, boy, you, boy, it, it, uh, it hurts. And then what are we required to do? Coaches are merciless, boy. Hey, hey, they put you right back out there and work out. Hey, you got to work, learn to work through that pain. Because your muscles are building up. It hurts right now, but it's producing something. And if you're diligent in it, you'll have an edge over the guy that isn't. All right? It's what you're doing when the lights aren't on, if you're diligent in those things. And you are constantly putting yourself to the test and building yourself up then you have put yourself in an excellent, the best position possible, all right, to succeed when the lights are on. In the face of adverse, in the face of competition, when you and the opponent that's on the, that's on the other side of you are striving for the same thing. There's only going to be one victor, right? And if we want to be the victor, these tests and trials are critically important to making that happen. Are you hearing that? We understand that. If you're going to run a marathon, guess what you're going to have to do? Constantly test yourself. Build yourself up so you're able to run, physically able 
to complete that marathon. That is not a dream of mine. My limit was 400 meters. But the same concept applies. Why wouldn't that be true as well when it comes to our spiritual development? We have our salvation. We're on our way to heaven. We will be ever with the Lord. But that's not the sum of it all. That's not the end game for God for us. Because we're called to be his ambassadors. We're called to be his witnesses. We are called to let our light so shine among men that they can see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven, right? Okay? So he's called us to the nations. He's called us to make disciples. And you know what? There's going to be resistance. There's going to be challenges, both inwardly, things we have to work through. We have to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. And there's going to be outside circumstances, just circumstances of life that will come about that will challenge us in our walk, that will challenge us in our ability to grow in the Lord that we have to overcome. So our challenge is to be transformed in our thinking concerning trials. As I, am, as I in, uh, intimated earlier, when confronted with trials, we naturally view them as hurtful, destructive events that have no redeeming value whatsoever. We view trials as things to be avoided at all costs. Victory in our minds means getting the trial behind us as soon as possible. But James challenges us to rise to a biblical view concerning trials. A few things that, that I've identified in this is one, he's challenging us to recognize the importance of trials to our spiritual growth and development. Two, realize that the victory is not in the ending of the trial. The victory is found in what is produced in us as a result of the trial. So let's define victory properly. Victory isn't in it being over. Victory isn't in it being avoided. Victory is in us going through it and what the purpose for which God has us going through it being fully realized in us. And it goes on to say, verse 4, that thir number 3 comes from that. Let what the trial produces, depending on your translation, patience, perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, let what the trial produces have its full effect or its perfect work in us. And that word let implies that we can choose <laughs> to cooperate or not. Whether we get what God intends for us to get out of it is up to us. 
God wanted the children of Israel to inherit the promised land the first time when he sent the spies in. That was his will. They didn't, they didn't go in. Why? Because there were giants in the land. And despite what Joshua and Caleb implored them, hey, we are well able to go and possess it. They was like, you see those giants over? We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. We can't handle them big boys. We ain't going to go in there and let God kill us, use them to kill us. And they ended up in the wilderness. Forty years, generation, they ended up there. There's a message there that I won't go into it. But the point is, yes, if they had entered in, there was going to be trial. There was going to be resistance. There was going to be hardship. God's way is not paved with comfort. All right? It's not paved with uh, the easy, the easy route. He does not promise us that. He tells you there will be hardships and trials. But he promises that he will not leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us every step of the way. So we have help. So he doesn't want us to avoid it. He wants us to trust him and be willing to walk through it with him. And if we trust him and we walk through that trial with him all the way through the end, the end result will be our good. As hard as it was to go through it, the end result will be for our good. There will be something that will be produced in us. At the very least, it tells us that you will develop, you will grow in perseverance. which is nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, I don't know of many great things in life that were ever accomplished without perseverance. This great country that we live in today did not just come about without perseverance. My mama didn't just get me to adulthood fairly healthy, Well, healthy in body may not have been fully healthy in mind. But my mama just didn't get me to adulthood without patience, without perseverance, without endurance. It took a lot to get me through the circumstances that I, that, that I grew up in. So we need to learn to walk through trials with the Lord. Let's go to verse 5. We need wisdom. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. 
because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. I want to, I want you to flip over to 1 Kings chapter 3. We need to learn to walk through trials in wisdom for the glory of the Lord. I believe a good example of this is in 1 Kings that, you, that you're turning to right now. Come on. Solomon. The son of King David is being elevated to the position of king, sitting in the throne of his father David. He followed in the ways of his dad, and he was really just a lad. He was he was he was basically a kid, very young man, a young man. And it says here in verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. God gave him a blank check. Ask of me whatever you want me to give you. And I was going to skip to verse 9, but I'll read through to verse 9. Solomon answered, Lord, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. And here's the, here it is. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God says, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor. So he got what he didn't ask for in addition to what he asked for. Both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream.
Here he is, faced with the daunting task of leading a nation, of being king, feeling inadequate to the task. He had before him the trial of of having leadership thrust upon him, right? There's a challenge there. Adversity awaits. Hard times await. Hard decisions. Difficult situations that have to be that have to be contemplated and, and discussed and, and wise counsel has to be given and decisions have to be made that have weight and consequences, right? And so he's looking at this. And he has an opportunity to ask for riches. He has the opportunity to ask the Lord to wipe out all his enemies. He has the Lord opportunity for the Lord to give him long life. All the things that would probably be tempting for us to ask God, but he asks God, for a discerning heart. He asked God for the ability to distinguish between right and wrong and to make wise and just decisions. To be a godly leader to the people of God. So his heart was in the right place and he asked for the thing that was spiritually needful not the thing that would have fed the flesh, things that would have fed the natural. He asked for the things, for the one thing, wisdom. And going back to James, I felt like it was relevant to divert over to Solomon in his prayer, in that exchange with God, while we're contemplating what James is saying, if any of you lacks wisdom. It's a perfect opportunity to talk about it because trials bring a season into our lives where it's necessary for us to seek wisdom. From God. And when we're in that time of trial, we need to know in that time, in that season, how do I navigate this, Lord? I need wisdom. I I need the ability to see my way through. I I don't need to see the end, Lord. I, I trust you, but I'm going to need a navigator. I'm going to lean on you. I'm not even going to bother asking you to take this trial away because I'm going to acknowledge that this trial, you've allowed it in my life for a reason. I'm going to choose instead to pray that whatever that reason is, I recognize it. I humble myself before you, I link up with you and I walk out this process to such a degree that your purpose is fully accomplished. Through this circumstance in me. A wisdom that can only come from the Lord. Right? Right? 
Now, he said that if we ask him for that wisdom, he gives it liberally and without reproach. That's the God that we serve, right? We don't have to worry about going to him too much, too frequently. We don't have to worry about asking for too much. He welcomes us to do it. Come to me seeking wisdom. Don't come here seeking your own fleshly desires and so forth, but come to me seeking that which is relative to the work that I'm doing in your life. Don't tell me to make it go away. Invite the wisdom needed for you to walk through it with me. And if you ask for that, he will give it to you liberally and there will be no reproach. Now he says, but let him ask in faith. So our request for wisdom must be made like any other request in faith. Without doubting, I didn't give Desiree this, but uh, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 6, it tells us about faith. Faith being the substance, Hebrews 11, faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then it goes on to say later in that verse that those who come to God must believe that he is one, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when I think of a doubter, and I'm thinking about it biblically or scripturally, when, I, when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, okay, if I'm coming to God not in faith, all right, do I believe he is? He's the one true God. He's got, he's the alpha, the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is in full control of the events of my life. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Believe that he is and that he is on your side. And he is and that he is a rewarder. That you're not spinning your wheels and wasting your time asking for prayer. But that we're asking God who favors us. <laughs> We're asking God who gave his only begotten son for us. If he gave his son for us, surely he will give us what we need in our time of need. Right? So we must believe in the, in we're, when, the, when we're in the midst of trials, there's a temptation there to give up. There's a temptation to lose hope. There's a temptation to try another thing out because this God thing isn't working. Well, we, we, we may not acknowledge that in our thoughts, but then... When we do that, that is akin to being, well, is he? And is he a rewarder? It, it puts in the question in our minds who he is really and what his intentions are toward us. I'm not speaking blasphemy, am I? But, but it is difficult in those times to really be reminded of that, <laughs> you know? You know, we, uh, and so we have to, we, so we have to remember 
to contend for the faith in those challenging times when we are trying. Because it's not a matter of if you're going to face trials. It's a matter of when. Just ask my daughter Dominique in, uh, in, uh, about her car. There's trials there. And there was a trial last month and two months before that. But we're persevering. <laughs> we're seeking wisdom. <laughs> but we know God is good. All right? And it's important, we're going to go on. It's important that we, without doubting God's ability or desire to give us his wisdom, we must ask in faith, without doubting his ability or desire to give us what we need. Lisa, are we uh, okay on time? Or is it? All right. <laughs> You know, I tell you what, I'm going to ask you all to stand. And we'll. Because it comes a time when you just got to trust. Trust the Lord that what needed to be said has been said, what needed to be received has been received and regardless of how much you got left in your notes. 